Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is uh, Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. Uh, question there in the chat is St. Thomas. It is St. Thomas Day. We're going to be hearing about the Nativity of our Lord, but yes, it is St. Thomas Day, so uh, we'll recognize him as well today. Let's see. I think that's a good enough of an introduction. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Memory verse. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, verse 5. Our psalm for the week is Psalm 85. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay. So, uh, there's a question about uh, the picture on our opening frame and the woman with the water to the white, uh, right. Now, this is often true in iconography, is that there's uh, multiple images happening simultaneously, you know, different events happening at the same time. And I'm not entirely sure. I think it's the purification of Mary is what's going on there, uh, which is included in a sense in the nativity. It doesn't, it's not usually recognized until um, February 2nd, right? So there's that. There's, of course, the visit to the shepherds is off the screen up in the top right. Um, and the song of the angels at the birth of Christ, and Joseph is hanging out outside the cave. <laughs> so there it is. All right. Good to see you checking in as well in the chat. Those of you watching live, we've got Karen, Mom, Michael, uh, Don and Karen, Vicky's on YouTube, and uh, Chris checked in, and Gus and Eileen has checked in. So good to have you all here. Let's hear our catechism for the week, fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask them all by our, 
worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. All right, sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Good. I worked through with the children uh, definitions here for false belief. Of course, that's any word and that, that is believed contrary to God's word, right? Uh, despair is uh, when there is no hope. It's the opposite of being hopeful. So to despair is to despair of God's promises that give us hope, right? So we pray that God lead us from that. Um, great shame, that's when um, either we are brought to shame, meaning um, we commit great sins that are exposed, or others expose those things um, before the world. Our shame is known by God, um, but it is washed clean. It's made clean in his shed blood, right? So um, he leads us out of shame and um, into a life of holiness, you would say. Clean, cleanliness, I guess, is spiritually speaking. Uh, and then vice, of course, are those things that hold us captive and that lead us um, into sin, right? So uh, we actually came up with the uh, seven deadly sins in uh, in chapel this morning, if you know those from the medieval period. Um, those are a helpful place to start as to think of, you know, what are things that we, behaviors that we have that can lead us um, away from God's word and into shame, guilt, etc. right? So they were sloth, envy, greed, um, lust, sloth, envy, greed, lust, pride, and um, envy, greed, lust. We got those three. I forget the rest of them. Okay, maybe you know them. So we ask that um, God not allow our, the world or the devil or our sinful nature to deceive us or mislead us into vice, shame, despair, or false belief. All right. Our first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his, of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice, from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Ah, yes, gluttony. Thank you, Michael. Um, that's six. We still need one more. <laughs> Seven deadly sins. All right. Uh, looking at the Isaiah reading, of course, light and darkness is a big theme at, at Christmas time. We hear it even on, on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, of course. And the light, I uh, mentioned this yesterday in the sermon for Bev, you know, the light of Christ shining into um, the midst of 
you know, the shadow of death, which was hanging over us yesterday, right? Uh, and of course, there's this violence that comes along with the birth of Jesus. We see that play out in Herod's violence against the uh, holy innocence of Bethlehem. Uh, but Jesus' entrance into this world um, is not one that, uh, it has catastrophic effect, right? In a good way, right? Brings catastrophe upon those who dwell in sin, who rebel against God's word, right? So you see um, the uh, the rod and the staff breaking and the, the oppressor, yeah? Even garments being rolled in blood, being used for burning and fuel of fire. We don't often think of uh, Christmas as that kind of, uh, well, at the beginning of Christ's warfare against sin, death, and devil, but there it is. Good. All right. Now our familiar reading of the Nativity, Luke 2, which we'll hear on Christmas Eve. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. So a census, we know what censuses are for. Uh, The counting of people, specifically for tax purposes, mostly. Uh, Also for, I guess, distribution of uh, government fund, uh, dole, of the government dole, but also, um, mm, what else? Representation, right? In the House um, of Congress. All right. So in this case, it's it's a, it's a census in order to be taxed. And uh, who's the Roman emperor at the time? Very specific, Caesar Augustus, right? Uh, why did Mary and Joseph need to go to Bethlehem out of Nazareth? It says here in particular in Luke that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, right? So he has to go to the, the city of um, his tribe. All right, Bethlehem was called here, oh, I just said it, the city of David. Uh, of course, you know why. Not because he ruled from there, but because he was he was born there. Yeah, First Samuel 17. Of course, you know what Bethlehem means. You hear all this frequently every year. It means house of bread. And of course, we know that the bread of life was born there. Hmm? What other key Old Testament events happened in in Bethlehem that you can remember? One of which we just heard a few, maybe a week or so ago. And that was the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel, right? Rachel was buried there. We also know later on, uh, two key figures. Uh, This would be David's grandparents, right? Ruth found food and was redeemed by Boaz in Bethlehem. That's that's in uh, the book of Ruth, right? So those are pretty important, and it does have to do with food and redemption. So not a coincidence. What's important about this phrase that Luke's, Luke uses to say uh, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. The days were completed. Well, of course, I mean, it's the end of her pregnancy, right? I mean, that that's the uh, immediate, obvious meaning, but it actually has a deeper, I think, theological purpose. And for that, listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. So when the fullness of time 
had come, right? This is the time in history that God has appointed for the birth of the Savior long promised, right? So it's not just her days completed, but it's the days, right? The days, the months, the years, the millennia that the people have been waiting for the promised Messiah. All right. Um, Another note here that I think is worth recognizing, she brought forth her firstborn, her firstborn um, son, all right? The firstborn sons are, well, of course, the inheritors, as the children pointed out to me. They were quick to that, which is good. They're catching on. Um, but there's more to it than that. There's actually a whole other um, tradition that relate to the firstborn. I think maybe the first story that you want to think of is the death of the firstborn in, in terms of the Exodus. Remember, that's the final, the 10th plague. Um, it was the firstborn Let's see, where does it go? Moses said, thus says the Lord, at midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill and the firstborn of the animals. Then there will be a great cry uh, throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was not like it before and shall not be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does not make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. All right. So without the blood upon that marked um, the doorpost and the lentil of those homes, the firstborn of Israel would have been slain as well. Right. There would, there was no distinction made. Um, the only thing that distinguishes them is the blood of this lamb that is sacrificed. All right. So take that in mind. And then um, let's see. Um, then in the context of that, listen to what Moses says when it comes to the Passover. This comes right after they are delivered, right? And they institute the Passover as a remembrance for all generations. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. All right. So the firstborn son is set apart, um, for, for the, ser- for service in the, uh, to the Lord. Right, not as a priest that that's to the house of Levi, uh, but some other kind of form of service. Right, and Moses said to the people, "Others, well, yeah, no, that's enough. I think that's enough." All right, so it's connected to the curse against the firstborn. Then that being that they've been redeemed by blood, now they are dedicated to service to the Lord. All right, later on, um, there is a means of redeeming them back. Yeah, here it is, um, Exodus thirteen eleven. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes uh, from an animal which you have, of the males, so it's firstborn male, key, shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this that you shall say to him by the strength, by strength of the hand of the Lord, by, by strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn and was not letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn sons I may redeem. It shall be a sign on your hand and the frontlet between your eyes, for by strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out, by the strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. There we go. All right, so 
this redeeming of the firstborn is to um, remember, actually, the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. All right. Uh, Michael pointed out all of them. Oh, we missed sloth. Of course, laziness. <laughs> How could I forget sloth? All right. So pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Right. That's a good list to start with uh, as far as the vices that we pray that the Lord deliver us from um, that lead us into temptation. All right. Uh, how about a son? Not just firstborn, but firstborn son. Of course, we just heard many, but there's more. Yeah. Your offspring, your seed, your son shall crush the serpent's head, right? So that was promised to Adam and Eve, the birth of a male that would be the savior. As Eve said, I've gotten a man when um, Cain was born. Of course, she was um, she was incorrect about him being the savior. Um, think of also the uh, the birth of the birth of Isaac, right? We actually heard, I think, ex- I think we actually heard explicitly there that it was the firstborn son, onlyborn son, of course. All right, uh, Genesis twenty-one. Yeah, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the t- set time. Oh, at the appointed time. There you go. Of which God had spoken to him. Oh, that's helpful, right? So it's the the promise of the birth of a son has been the long, that's been the repeated promise. I always wonder, Chris asks, about daughters if no sons. And does this mean if your son dies at birth? Um, I'm not sure about the latter part. The first point is that it, that there is that explicit promise is given to the son, right? But all the daughters are brought in to saving relationship by way of the son, right? Um, so you could say that it's a patriarchy. I know there's that's kind of a uh, considered a negative it has negative connotations to describe patriarchy. Patriarchies are evil. Um, it's the way that God ordained creation. And it's not to say that men are better than women or something like that. It's just that each have unique roles, right? And here um, it is the male offspring that's given the unique role of saving God's people. Of course, um, if you want to see the inadequacy of all naturally born uh, male sons, just read the Old Testament and you'll see that none of them are suitable uh, actually to be the savior, only Christ, who is both true God and true man. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Where do we want to go? So son, yeah, we, I think we've got that. Uh, what two things did Mary do for her son? These are worth pointing out. She brought forth her firstborn son. First, wrapped him in swaddling claws. Second, laid him in a manger, right? You've heard this all before. Um, a manger, traditionally, you can look at, arche- um, they're actually archaeology on this, is actually a stone slab that would have a, a groove cut into it so that they could lay the grain in there. Most commonly a stone slab. Uh, I know usually we see wooden mangers. Uh, of course, Jesus would be wrapped again in claws, burial claws, right? John 19. And then Jesus would be laid on the stone slab that had been hewn out of the out of the rock at his burial. So that's a beautiful connection, right? Um, but manger, wood, well, even if it was made out of wood, just for hypothetically speaking, you know, like a, like in Western Europe, um, well, you have that you have a connection to the wood of the cross as well, right? And uh, this is the reason why our altars were traditionally uh, made of stone, and they might have a um, a wood reredos behind them, right? So we have the stone slab connected to both to the grave and to the manger. And of course, what do we receive from the stone slab in church? Then is the bread from heaven, Christ's body and blood for life, right? In the sacrament, uh, if not stone, then wood. And again, that's connected then to a wooden manger and to the cross. It works too. You can go that route. 
All right, there's a lot more we could say here, uh, but we'll leave it there. The story of Jesus's birth is a historic, a historical and theological account of God coming in the flesh to feed his people. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be the bread of life. He was wrapped up in claws, as he would be wrapped up in his death. He was laid on the, upon the stone manger, as he would be placed upon the stone slab in the tomb. Yet, as the Western Church would say, the wood of the manger became the wood of the cross. The one who came to die for us and once was laid in a manger now lies upon the manger of the altars of his church that we might be fed and live. The word for the room in the inn is the same word used to describe the room in which he would institute the feast of his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. The upper room, the guest room, if you like. This little child was born to be the victim and the priest that is, to offer the sacrifice of his own body and blood, that death would pass over us as it did when the firstborn sons of Israel were spared. The claws in which he was wrapped remind us that he is still wrapped up and hidden in the claws of Holy Scripture, that only those who believe his word may truly confess him to be the Son of God. All right. Uh, let's sing the last two stanzas of the hymn today. Uh, today is the day spring day, right? Uh, morning star. Uh, yeah. So we'll sing stanzas six and seven. Today is the Feast of St. Thomas, Didymus, as you might know him by. And so it's appropriate for us to hear today a little bit more. St. Thomas, yeah. Thomas, named also Didymus, that is the twin, was one of the Lord's twelve chosen apostles. Only St. John's Gospel records any words from him. 
When Lazarus died and Jesus proclaimed that he was going to Judea to awaken him, Thomas said to the other disciples, Let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. John 11. Thus Thomas shows that he had heard and heeded the Lord Jesus' Lord Jesus's predictions of his own passion. During the Lord's farewell discourse, Jesus announces that he was going to prepare a place for the disciples and would come again to take him to himself. He told the disciples that they knew the way to the place where he was going. But Thomas replied, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus responded to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. John 14. Of course, most famously, Thomas is remembered for doubting the words of his fellow disciples when they told him that Christ had indeed been raised from the dead. He had not been with them in the upper room on Easter evening when the Lord had appeared. He announced his stubborn doubt, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. In great mercy, Christ appeared again a week later, and this time Thomas was with them. He bid Thomas do exactly what he proposed. Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas then confessed, My Lord and my God. Jesus asked if he believed because of what he saw, and proclaimed blessed those who do not see and yet believe. Thomas also was with the disciples when Christ revealed himself in Galilee and granted them a miraculous catch of fish. John 21. After Pentecost and the dispersion of the apostles, Thomas reportedly traveled as far east as India. To this day, a group of Christians in India still refer to themselves as Christians of St. Thomas. It is believed he was martyred for Christ by being killed with a spear, and thus his symbol is a spear with a builder's square, for he was one of the architects by whom Christ built his church. His feast day in the West has been observed on December 21st, since at least the 19th cent- 9th century. Excuse me. I realized to my great loss I had not started drinking my coffee. Mm. So good. All right, let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you strengthened your apostle Thomas with firm and certain faith in the resurrection of your son. Grant us such faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, that we may never be found wanting in your sight. Through the same Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray the collect for the week. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might, that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, lead us out of temptation. Guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We pray today for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God, for parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, we pray today in Thanksgiving with James and Joshua celebrating their birthdays. Uh, We pray for the households of our church this week, Jim and Deborah, Carol, Merlin, Jan and Donna, Karen and Isaac. Pray for our catechumens, Christian, Wyatt, Aaliyah, Lydia, Charlie, Kaylee, and Kimberly. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Kelsey, Walt, Christopher, Dan, Brad, Ron, Marla, Betty, Pat, Merlin, and Heidi. Pray for our homebound, Ed, 
Paul and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially a place of refuge. We pray in intercession for all the households of our community. We pray for those grieving, especially the family and friends of Bev. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. Tomorrow we'll hear about the birth of, the, uh, of Christ announced to the shepherds. All right. So join us for that. Uh, let's see. Tonight we have uh, our last evening prayer service for Advent. We'll uh, consider the fourth stanza of our hymn that we've been singing all, uh, all through Advent. Right. And so we had um, come and then now and soon, and tonight will be come again, but we'll focus on the, the Maranatha, as you uh, maybe have heard, or, well, marathon. I mean, it has all sorts of uh, interesting connotations, but the idea that, that we actually pray that our Lord come and that he come quickly to us. Uh, as much as we love our life and we love this world, and we love the gifts he gives us here, we always are looking forward to the next, you know, the life that is to come, the new heavens, the new earth, as we heard yesterday at Bev's funeral. Um, and the restoration of all things. All right. So uh, join us this evening, seven o'clock for uh, evening prayer. And uh, we'll be with you again here online for a congregation prayer in the morning. All right. God be with you all. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.